we wear a lot of different hats. You ever think about that, you know, kind of figuratively, we wear a, little, a lot of different hats. Sometimes you wear hats as, as parents, right? And sometimes you wear hats as kids, and sometimes you wear hats as an employer, and then as an employee, you could go on and on. And some people, they actually wear hats at work, and they wear even uniforms. We've got people in our church that are, are first responders, policemen, firemen. Think of somebody like a, a judge. You know, they have the robe they wear. And when you look at people that have those uniforms on, they can be a little bit intimidating. And sometimes you don't even recognize them. So I've, I've seen guys, I don't recognize them out of uniform. Or I don't recognize them in uniform. It's almost like they become a different person. I was talking to a policeman last week, and he told me that when he was out, you know, he's retired now, but he said, one of the things I really remember is how different I was. That when I put on my uniform, I was a professional person. And when I took off my uniform, I was a private person. I was a different person. So we, it's amazing how that can have a whole difference in your, your life. But when you put on the uniform or you put on a certain hat, you have a certain degree of power. You have a certain degree of authority. As imperfect as it is, that illustration, I think, captures a little bit of what we're going to be talking about today. We have been going through Romans, and we're looking at the power of the gospel in Romans, and we've seen that when a person comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of them. And you've got power now inside of you, and you've got authority now inside of you, but you've got to decide whether you're going to put it on or not. Are you going to put that hat on, or are you going to take it off? Are you going to live under the power that has been vested in you, the authority that God has given you to, to minister to other people throughout the world, and the people that come across your path? Or are you going to fall back and just live the way you did before in the weakness of your flesh as a private citizen, so to speak? God wants to make a difference. He really wants to work in our lives in powerful ways. First, as we come into a relationship with them, and then as we grow in that relationship with them. And so we're going to be talking about that today. And then next week is really neat because we're going to be looking at Romans, Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. And what's really neat about that is that in that passage, we're going to learn what that means for us. Now that we are, have the Holy Spirit in us, what does it look like from God's perspective? And from God's perspective, the Holy Spirit becomes sort of our... Uh, birth certificate. You know, we, he, we're adopted. We become God's children, which means that we're heirs of the kingdom of heaven. Great passage. So I encourage you to read that for next week and then follow me along with this week because what we're going to be looking at really is that what, what, is, it, what is life in the spirit? Once we come into a relationship with the Holy Spirit, what does it mean to live in that life? What does it mean to put on that uniform? What does it mean to put on that hat? So we're going to take a look at it. You ready? Ready to jump into it? We're at Romans. Eric, move my page. Eric, you move my page. That's okay, though. We forgive you. Here we go. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1. And we'll be looking at verses 1 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life hath set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. 
For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give, also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So life is in the Spirit. You know, when we put the Spirit on, we have life. The Spirit comes into our life. That's how we come into a relationship with Jesus. That's how eternal life begins. And as we continue to put the Spirit on in our lives, we can live lives that are victorious and meaningful. And so we're going to talk about how that all shapes out for us today. As we'll look at this, we see that life is in the Spirit. And first of all, it delivers us. Life in the Spirit delivers us from condemnation. Verses 1 through 8. He starts off and he says, there is therefore now. So he's going back saying, what was he talking about? Remember, a couple weeks ago, we had a guest speaker last week, but a couple weeks ago, Paul, this great leader, this man who wrote this book, one of the great men in history, was talking about how even though he knows God, even though he's in a relationship with Jesus Christ, even though the Holy Spirit is in his life, he has a tendency to go back and take that Holy Spirit off. You know, he has a tendency to not pay attention to the Holy Spirit and fall back into the ways that he used to live. And then it can be really frustrating. And he can be really discouraged. And so he, he says sometimes it just seems so frustrating. And he ends with this explanation in chapter 7, verses 24 through 25. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So he's basically expanding on that. And what he's saying is, what hope do I have when I die? The hope that I have is that if I'm in a relationship with Jesus Christ, I will then live, and I will live for eternity. And then he says, if I fix my mind on him, when I come in relationship with him, and I fix my mind on him, and I am walking with him, then this life is going to work out. Then I'm going to get someplace. And so now he, he kind of expands on that, and he says, because that's true, I'm no longer condemned. I'm no longer condemned. I'm no longer condemned to be separated from God. For the wages of sin is death. Remember we learned that earlier. I'm no longer separated from him. And I'm no longer eternally separated from him in hell. That's the destination. If somebody doesn't know Jesus and they've spit in his eye and they said, I don't need you. I'm going to go and try to do this on my own. They're going to live separated from God for eternity in hell. And he says, you're no longer condemned if you're in a relationship with God. If the Holy Spirit is in you, then you can know that you have been set free from sin and from death. So that's fantastic news. If we're in a relationship with Jesus, we've got all that for us. And so we, we should get pretty excited about that. We should say, wow, that's good stuff. And then he goes on and he says, he talks about the past a little bit. And he says, God could have done this through the law. You know, you could have, you know, we wouldn't even need Jesus if we did the law perfectly. What God had it all set up for us how to live, but we didn't do it. We couldn't do it. 
because of the sinful flesh. Because there's this part of us, going back to Adam, that we have this tendency to want to live the wrong way, to want to do the wrong things. And so we always fall short. And so what God does is he takes care of this problem. So see, here's the, here's the problem. The problem is, is that God made us in his image, but we're imperfect beings. And we have this sinful nature about us. And so starting with Adam, we fell away from God, and now we're trying to get back to God on our own terms. But we can't do that. We can never achieve his perfection. Remember, we've talked about that. You can't, you're not going to ever go to the Oval Office. So don't ever expect to go to God's throne room. You can't do it on your own. You can try as hard as you want. You can do everything you want. You'll never be good enough. You're just an imperfect human being. That's the problem. And because of that fleshly nature, we'll never, ever make it. And that's why God sent Jesus. He sent him to resolve the problem. He sent him to die on the cross for our sins and rise from the grave. And he gets a little theological here. He says, well, a lot of this is theological, but he says that he sent Jesus as the son. He sent him in the likeness of sinful flesh. uh, Philippians chapter 2 verse 7 says that Jesus came in the likeness of of human flesh. It wasn't like he came kind of like, he sort of looks like a man, but he was a man. That's what this is saying. He sent him as a man. So Jesus got hungry, right? Jesus got thirsty. He got tired and he was tempted, just like everybody in this room. He was 100% human. He even died as a man will die. Jesus was 100% human. And that's something to hold on to because uh, it's important to understand that part of this thing because he can relate to us as a result. That's what makes it possible for him to be able to have, you know, for us to be able to know that he was a real human being is that he had all those experiences. And that means that he had a sinful, think about this. Have you guys ever thought about this? Jesus had a sinful nature in him. If he didn't, he wouldn't have been fully human. But did he sin? He didn't sin. You catch that? This is why this is a really interesting theological verse here. This is something that people say, well, was Jesus human? Yeah, he was human. He was born with sinful flesh, just like us. How much more human can you get? But did he sin? No. It's nowhere recorded that he sinned. And matter of fact, when he died, he rose again. Matter of fact, when he died, it said he died, he died for sin, and that is better translated, he died as a sin offering. He gave his life for us. So I could come along and I could say, I'm going to give my life for you. And you say, well, that's really nice of you, but it doesn't buy you a whole lot. I can die for you and I can guarantee that's not sending you to heaven. And let's hope I'm going there. (laughs) Otherwise, it's a real waste. So, you know, I mean, what does it matter? If I die for you, you die for me, it doesn't buy us anything. But if Jesus dies for us as God... If God dies for us, now we have a whole new ballgame. The God of the universe has died in our place that we might go to heaven. The God of the universe comes as a man so that he can experience everything that we experience and live the perfect life that we could not live, and then he dies and rises again. And that's what makes this all possible. And it's because of that that we're not condemned. So a little bit of a review, too. But it kind of it puts it all together. Now, 
is you get to this point and you got to stop a second and say, well, have you noticed that already we've talked about God the Son, we've talked about the Spirit, we've talked about God, we've talked about Christ Jesus. Get used to that in chapter 8, which is really the you know, kind of the high summit of um, Romans because he keeps going back and forth. And this is interesting stuff. Again, I'm going to do one more thing that's interesting. It has a theological background to it that it's good for us to know. I mean, some of this stuff, some people get in more into all of this than others, all of the theology, but we should want to know about Jesus. Just like you want people to know about you. You want the people closest to you to know about you, don't you? To know who you are, what you like, what your favorite things are, what the things are that make you happy, what are the things that upset you. You want them to know you. And God wants you to know him. And you should want to know him. And so these are things that tell us a little bit more about who he is. One of the amazing things about God is the way he, he is described. There's two different things. You know, there's prescription and description. Some things you can prescribe and you say, this is what it is and this is how you do it. Other things you can't quite do that with. Have you ever run into anything like that? Um, sometimes you don't understand it and you have to go up and say, well, let me just kind of explain how it works out. We were talking about that, something we were thinking about a financial purchase the other day and Carrie and I were talking and she was explaining this to me and she looked at me and she goes, you don't, she was giving me the terms, right? The prescriptive terms. And she says, you don't know what I'm talking about, do you? Some of you find that amazing that I wouldn't know what she's talking about in terms of numbers. But um, that's not really my gig as much. And so I go, um, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm really daydreaming about something else, probably. But she said, but I clicked in at that moment. I said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. So then she said, let me explain it to me. And she gave me a description. And then I said, oh, I, I, okay, I see what you're talking about. Do you ever notice that about things? Yeah. It's sometimes it's better to explain it, give the story kind of, than just say it. And that's how it is with what we usually call the trinity, the triunity of God. You can't explain it. If you were going to try to write about it, it would, you'd write more than you would write in the whole Bible, and you would still be confused. You can't explain it because it transcends our small brains. But the Bible describes it. And what it describes, there's a couple things. It says that there's one God. And it shows us repeatedly there's one God, there's one God, there's one God from the beginning, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And yet, he's described as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Not just in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there are references to God the Father. There are references to God the Son. And there's references to God the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's a little bit more mysterious and not quite as clear, but we see references. And then in the New Testament, it becomes really clear. And we say, what's going on here? You've got one God who eternally exists as co-equal beings. The names constantly used interchangeably. One God and three persons. One God who manifests himself in three eternally coexisting persons. Does that blow your mind? I mean, that's just unbelievable stuff. But that's who our God is. Way beyond anything that anybody in this room would ever make up. And sometimes people get confused. I've heard this. We were doing this in Bible study the other day. We were talking about this. Sometimes people will think, so here's one for you. People will think, well, we, we try to figure it out. And we say, well, in the Old Testament, God the Father was Yahweh. That's God's personal, intimate name. But no, that's not true. Yahweh was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus' name is Yahweh saves. I am Yahweh, I've come to save. In, in John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus says, 
Before Abraham was, I am. Yahweh means I am. What did the people understand him as saying? I'll explain this to you through description. They picked up stones and threw them at him and said, you're blaspheming. You're claiming to be Yahweh. You're claiming to be God. I am Yahweh. Jesus was Yahweh. The Holy Spirit was Yahweh. God the Father was Yahweh. They're all one and they're all separate. I, I can't explain it all. We only have so much time, right? I mean, we could go on forever because God is that great. He's way beyond anything that we can understand. And that's one of the main things that I think we need to see is, is how small we are and how great he is. And the idea is, without God is death. But with God is life. With Jesus, with the Holy Spirit in us, when we have that God of the universe somehow miraculously in us and us in him, then there's life. And he goes on to, to contrast this and he says, if you, if you walk according to the flesh, you try to live your life according to the flesh, you say, I'm going to get into heaven by doing it by my own works, won't make it. But if you do it by the Spirit, you will. Those who live according to the flesh, they, they set their minds on the flesh. They're not getting anywhere. But if you set your mind on the Spirit, you'll come into a relationship with God. Verse 6 is cool, because if you set your mind on the flesh, it's death. But if you set your life on the Spirit, not only is it life, but it's peace. It's one of the first things it says in Romans chapter 5, that when you come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, one of the first things you can expect to have, have happen is this experience of peace. I think this is what Jesus is talking about, John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, I came that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. And, and it's almost like there's not a quite, the word, the descript, translation there could also be, I came that you might have life and it might be full and meaningful. I came that you might have life and it might be purposeful. It's just something that gives us contentment, something that sort of satisfies us, something that fills us up. In the Old Testament, it's probably closest to shalom, a sense of joy that goes beyond joy. And everybody in this room's had it. You've all had that glimpse of that moment, that time and place where you said, oh, I wish I could hold on to this feeling right now. I wish I could have this sense of security, this sense of everything's okay, this sense of, Somebody's taking care of things. And you can if you're in a relationship with the God of the universe. And the more you grow in that relationship with him, the more that becomes who you are. You'll never sustain it fully until you get to heaven, but it becomes more part of your life. And you have more sense of his presence and of his peace in your life. And so he says, yeah, if you really know Jesus, it's going to make a difference in your life. But if your mind is set on the flesh, it's hostile to God, doesn't submit to him, you can't get there. You're not going to be able to get there uh, if that's how you live your life. It just isn't going to happen. So there's two ways to look at this today. And the main way is to understand that if you're trying to get to heaven according to your flesh, not going to make it. But if you come into a relationship with Jesus, the Holy Spirit will come and live inside of you and he will enable you to go to heaven. So if you're not yet in a relationship with God, like Eric was saying, if you acknowledge that you're a sinner or you're an imperfect person, can't get there on your own, and then you recognize that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and he rose from the grave, and then you surrender your life to him. And if you haven't done that, that's the starting point. But there's something else that ties into what Paul was saying earlier in verse 7, and that is that not only do you set your mind on the Holy Spirit to come into a relationship with him, not only do you say, I give my life to you, but there's something else you say, 
And that is that once you've given your life to him, you say, I'm going to keep my mind on you. I'm going to keep walking with you. I'm going to keep praying to you and talking to you. And in that way, I'm putting the hat on. I'm putting the uniform on. I want to keep that as part of how I live my life rather than the other way. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, if I try to do this on my own, I come to know Jesus and I still try to do it on my own, it's going to be futile. But if I live with Jesus, all the pieces of that proverbial puzzle come back together for me. Make sense? A lot of this is review, but just kind of pulling it all together. Let me give an illustration today um, that I, th- I was thinking about that I think ties into this a little bit. Years ago, I went to the Buick golf, you know, Invitational Golf Tournament in La Jolla. I'm not a big golf fan. It's the only golf tournament I've ever gone to. I went there because I knew one of the golfers. There were two golfers left in the tournament. I knew one of them. The other one I didn't know. His name was Tiger Wood. I didn't know Tiger. But I knew the other guy. So I got to go. Now, you'll never meet this guy probably, even take a selfie with him or get an autograph. So how did I get to know him? I know a lot of people. (laughs) I got connections. No, that's not how. What happened in this case is it's actually fairly simple. I didn't, I, we weren't close friends, but I knew him well enough. I was in his, I was in, he had two houses, one in Del Mar and one in another place, some very nice homes, and, and I, so I went to both houses. So I knew him, but we weren't close. This is the deal. His wife had a brother, and her brother went to our church and was our friend. And her brother's wife, you still following me? Her brother's wife was one of my wife's best friends. Praise God for my wife's friendships. So... <laughs> So we got invited to go to this major event in this beautiful, beautiful setting. You know what I did to go there? Nothing. You know how I got in? I knew a family member. You know how I get into heaven? I know a family member. I get in by family relation. I get invited by the son. I don't have to go. Matter of fact, some of you golf fans are going to hate me for this, but when I first moved to San Diego, I got a free two passes to go to the Buick Golf Invitational for free for moving to San Diego. I thought, I don't even know about this tournament, and I am kind of busy, so I threw it out. And I thought about it later. Oh, man, you know, I didn't realize that was probably a bad move. But this time I got invited, and I went. I think people, and it was interesting, some people, when I said that, they go, "Ah!" you know what? Every day, every moment, people are taking the ticket that Jesus gives them and throwing it away. Most people on this planet have a ticket to heaven. And I tell you what, it's a lot prettier than La Jolla. And they're not going. They're throwing the ticket away. But I got the ticket. And I took that ticket, and I went to the game. And went to that. You know what I did when I was there? I pulled out my phone, and I started thinking. I had this game I was playing, solitaire. And so I sat down by myself, and I played solitaire. I don't know what happened, but you know, I got a little bored after a while, and I didn't win. But I, but I was having, you know, but that's what I did, right? You know what? That's what a lot of people do. 
and they miss everything. They're sitting there doing in their own world at their this special moment and they miss it all. And a lot of Christians live their Christian life that way. They're living all by for themselves and they're not living for the Lord. You know what I did? I followed this guy the whole time. Every place he was, I was there. I was watching him. And I had so much fun. It was a really cool experience because I got caught up in it. It wasn't what I was doing. All I was doing is being with him. But as I was with him and because I knew him, in a sense, it was almost like I was playing. My buddy's out. That's my man. I know that guy. And it was really fun. The illustration falls apart. On the last hole, that turkey, Tiger Woods, beat him. (laughs) But Jesus never gets beaten. He always wins in the end. And furthermore, because he lost, he decided to forego the dinner so we didn't get to go to the dinner afterwards. But, but with Jesus, we're going to have a feast in heaven one day. So right now we're on earth and we've been invited into the kingdom and we can walk with Jesus and we have the power within us. If we want to, we can live with Jesus and walk by his side as we fight the battles together on this planet with great victory and joy and encouragement, far better than anything we'd experience in an event like I've described. And in the end, we'll enter heaven where we'll have a great time of celebration. So hopefully that helps paint it a little bit better. Now I want to look at the last part of this, and it's a little bit simpler, but it talks about, and there's a little bit of overlap too, it secures our salvation. When we come into relationship with the Holy Spirit, to live in the life of the Holy Spirit is to secure our salvation. He refers to it again, he says, you know, if you're living by the flesh, ain't going to make it. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, now listen to this, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, then you don't belong to him. How do I know that you are going to heaven? You have the Spirit of Christ in you. That's how I know. That's how you know. If the Spirit of Christ is in you, then you're going to heaven. It's really quite simple. Um, but if, and, he says, and he says, but if Christ is in you, by the way, here's another one that blows your mind. He says, if, if the Spirit is in you, and now he says, if Christ is in you. And some people say, well, if Christ is in you through the Spirit. But that's not what he's saying. Theologically, they're both in you because they're one. That's why when Jesus comes to earth, he's called Emmanuel, God with us, because God is with us. God the Father is with us because they're one, but they're separate. Does that mess with your mind? I mean, it's way more than I can understand, but basically what we can know is that the God of the universe is in us. And if he's in us, it's all good, yep. We're going to make it. Uh, the spirit is, uh, we have the spirit of life in us, and this is how we know, because this is what we really need to know, is how do I know, how do I know he's in me? Because if the spirit is in you, then he's, he's the spirit of righteousness. There's going to be righteous living in you. There's going to be changes in your life. There's going to be some transformation that takes place. God's going to change you. Eric talked a little bit about that. I know when I first came to the Lord, there are a few things that just really stand out. One, I had a sense of joy and peace, the thing we talked about there that I can't quite explain that I, I hadn't had before, never at least been able to sustain for any period of time. Another thing is I wanted to talk to God through prayer. I wanted to. I didn't really want to as much before. I wanted to read my Bible. I hadn't had that interest before. I wanted to be a better person and behave better. I just really didn't care as much before. 
I wanted to know other believers. I wanted to tell people. I wanted people to know what had happened to me. I was so happy. I wanted them to know. Something was going on inside of me. And as the years have gone by, it has ebbed and flowed. But I've got closer to the God of the universe. My life has transformed in many ways. I'm not the same person I was before. And so it appears that something is going on inside of me. Even though you can't see it, you can see how God is changing me. Like um, Jesus said to Nicodemus, he says, you can't see the wind, but you can see what the wind does. You may not see the Holy Spirit in me, but if the Holy Spirit is in me, you'll see the wind blowing in me. And you'll see the wind blowing in your own life. There should be some changes. And then there's one way else that you can know for sure, absolutely for sure, that you have secured salvation. And that is at the end here. He says, if the Spirit is in you, he's the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. You know, that Jesus rose from the dead through uh, the Spirit of him or the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead. If he's in you, if he raised Jesus from the dead, then your life will be raised too. So here's the way, you know, when you die, if you go to the right place, then he was in you. But you don't have to wait that long because you can begin to understand that even now um, as you see how he changes your life. But if he's really in you, there should be some changes. There should be some yearning. For years, uh, several years, I was a volunteer chaplain at Ready Children's Hospital. And both our kids were there. And uh, one of the things that, I guess because of this experience... Carrie and I almost always donate blood whenever we can. And I hope many, if not most of you, do that, if you're possibly able to. Sometimes you can't for health reasons. But I'm absolutely convinced that this is a good thing. Um, it's estimated that every time you give blood, at least one person's life is saved. And it may make you a little uncomfortable. But when you think of that, you're saving a person's life. I mean, it's dramatic to go into a burning building and pull somebody out and say you've saved their life. But you can save a lot more lives just giving blood. And so one of the reasons we do that is because we've seen the results. Especially platelets. I used to give platelets. I, I don't right now, but I used to give platelets because I saw what it did in kids' lives. So I go into the cancer ward. Kids come in bald. They come in gray. They come in ashen. They come in often in wheelchairs. And they sit them down in their station, and they bring in the right blood for them. And they hook them up. And they put the blood in the kids, you know, the, the platelets. And by the time they're done, those same kids are rosy-cheeked, excited, jumping up and down, running around the rooms, just like cars that just got filled up with gas. Can't believe it. Seen it with my own eyes time and time and time again. If the Holy Spirit is in you, you shouldn't be living lives that are gray and ashen and bound to wheelchairs spiritually. There should be joy in your life. It should show in your, the way you smile. It should show in the way you live. There should be a hope. There should be something that really is moving you. If the Holy Spirit is in your life, it should be making a difference. And if it's not, then maybe you don't really know God. Maybe you're just going through the motions. Maybe it's time to come talk about that. Or maybe you're just not putting them on. You've got them in your life, but you're not putting the hat on. And you're living this frustrated life that Paul was saying he used to live all the time, 
and he still you know, trips up and falls into it occasionally, but now he knows when he trips up and falls into it that he can put the pad on, and it changes everything. He says, God, man, I'm going the wrong way. Help me to get back on the horse. Lord, help me. Forgive me. I'm, I'm, I'm blowing it. And he turns his direction back on God. He puts his mind back on God and bang, he's, he's got that experience again. And so I encourage you to do that in your life. And if it's really been difficult, then come and talk to us because you may just be at a dry time and you need a brother and sister in Christ who does have the Holy Spirit in them that can encourage and help you walk through this. I want to give you a couple applications today. One is we've talked about salvation, uh, but I want to talk about another concept that goes along with this first thing here is set your minds on the spirit. You need to set your minds on the spirit. Think about how significant it is just when you set your minds on the right things. You ever heard the old saying, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. There's some truth to that. If you think about the right things and you work out of the right things, it's going to make you a better person and can even help you, to some degree, find a destiny, find a direction in life. But how much more is that true if you're in a relationship with the God of the universe? This actually mirrors what we looked at back in Romans chapter 5, remember? When it says that if you persevere, you will build character and your character builds hope. Um, and, and it basically gives hope in the fact that we know that we're saved. So if you are in a relationship with the God of the universe and you keep your mind on him, you can know that your destiny will be heaven. And you can know that he'll be building character in your life. And you can know that he'll be doing what you want him to do. So what are some of the things that we think of when we think on God? I think a great example is Philippians 8, 5, uh, 4, 8. Philippians 4, 8. This is a good one just to memorize and hang on to this week. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is any wor anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep your mind on the things that are best. That doesn't mean that you can't think about the things that are in this world, but when you think about the things in this world, think of them through his eyes. When you watch television, he's right there next to you. Is he enjoying that with you? Is he enjoying what you read? Is he enjoying the way you interact with people? Be aware of his presence. And think about him. And think about the good things that he's doing. And make those your primary sense of focus in your life. It's a, it's a weird balance, you know. Um, living in the world, we tend to fall off the horse one side or the other. You know, on one side, we, we get to the point where you get real legalistic. And we say, you can't dance, you can't, you know, drink, you can't comb your hair a certain way, you can't wear certain things, you can't go to the movies. We do all the can'ts, right? Then we, we flip the other side and you can say, you can do whatever you want. And people say, well, what's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian? We don't know. They, can do, they just sin just as much and uh, feel, feel good about it. We do it by grace. Well, that's an extreme too. There's this tension we have to live in. And the answer is the Holy Spirit. You know, God will show us. And as we read the Bible, we'll know what's right and what's wrong. You don't have to be guilted out about it. We want to engage our culture, but we want to make sure that we're keeping our minds on the good things and not letting our minds being, be controlled by those bad thoughts that can stifle us. Now, um, the last thing I want to share with you is this transformation. How's your life changed since you received Christ? 
Are you reading your Bibles more? Are you praying more? You're more involved with church and fellowship and relationships with people that know Jesus. Do you tell people that don't know Jesus about him? Do you build relationships with, you know, the 8 to 15 people that are in your life, what we call your oikos? Are you building relationships with them, getting to know them, caring for them, regardless whether they come to church or not, but also telling them about Jesus and inviting them? That's what should happen. We should have transformation in our lives. So I don't know... You know, I don't know if we'll have hats or uniforms in heaven. I suppose white robes will be in vogue. But whatever happens here on earth, we can know that we can put on the robe of Christ or the robe of the Holy Spirit every time we engage and we fix our mind on him and we think about the good things in life. Um, Not in a Pollyanna kind of way, just we just think of the good things that he's doing and see him working in our lives. And as we focus on him, it's amazing how he'll direct us. And we put that robe on, and we put on a sense of direction and guidance and empowerment in our lives. So I pray that you'd do that. Join me in a word of prayer, please. Father, thank you so much for what you have done in our lives. And a lot of review today, a lot of theology. Some of this is heavy, and yet it's good for us. It's good for us to know who you are and how powerful you are and how your power and your greatness transcends anything that we can possibly imagine. Lord, help us to think about that. Help us to just hang on to who you are. Get to know you better. Just meditate on some of these things today. And pray that we would also meditate on the wonderful things that you have done in our lives and you're doing in the world, all the good and commendable and uh, positive things, um, and see you uh, for who you are. And I pray, Lord, that as we focus on you, as we trust in you, as we learn from you, as we read the Bible and connect that and, and find the Bible as our guide through all that we do, that we would see transformed lives, lives that would continue to transform and be a blessing um, to you and to those around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.